Good morning. I'm honored to be with you all this morning. My name is Matt, and uh, thank you for those kind words. Thank you for mentioning Refuge International. It's the organization I do work for. And um, y'all are aware refugees are coming from all over the world. And uh, we actually are not one of the... We're not a government entity. We're, we actually don't receive any funds from the government. But we, we recognize that through tragic circumstances, refugees um, come here, but they're here. And in God's providence, he's brought the nations to us in many ways. And our, we exist to help churches get connected to those refugees. Um, because I'm not a church historian, but I can't really imagine many other times in church history when you have so many refugees come into a land where they can live under religious liberty for the first time, learn our language, and are eager for friends. And uh, so thank you for that. Please, um, I would ask this church to keep us in your prayers. There's, it's quite a task, but the Lord is doing some amazing things. Please turn to Psalm 3. As you turn there, I want to say thank you for the honor of preaching here this morning. Thank you to Pastor Van. I have been blessed getting to know him, to see a pastor who is um, committed to the word and who loves his people so well. I'm sure you know that more than I do. So thank you for the opportunity. Psalm 3. And I would ask, if you are able, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning. This is Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Father, I ask that you would now reveal yourself through your word to every soul in this room. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, most of us have probably never been in combat. I know I have not, so therefore most of us have probably never faced an enemy, a real enemy, nor much less even been surrounded by an enemy as David is facing here. However, if you have ever attended an away game at UK, if you're a UofL fan, or at UofL if you're a UK fan, you probably have some sense of what it's like to be surrounded by the enemy. I'm from Tennessee, and Nayland Stadium is massive, and it is massively loud as well. I cannot imagine being an enemy of the University of Tennessee on game day there. Not because the team is very dangerous to you at this point in time, but more so because the, the fans are just so imposing with the, the volume. Um, I, I recently, uh, I th- 
my opening illustration for the first service. It might, it might have been a little bit too early to describe how on a recent car ride in Africa, I, I discovered that my seat was infested with cockroaches and was soon surrounded by cockroaches. Um, so for those who didn't have coffee, I think that probably woke them up pretty well. Um, but that itself was, was an awful experience of being surrounded by an enemy invasion. Um, David, however, is facing, facing the, almost the worst kind of, of being surrounded by his enemies here in Psalm 3. And there's much for us to glean from that this morning. How is it that David finds himself? Well, the, the superscript of this passage says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Already you know this is a tragedy. David is fleeing from not just his friend, but his, his son, who obviously is, is not his friend at this point in time, but his own son. Now, if you read Second Samuel, you, you get a glimpse or you get an account of the story. What's happening here is that Absalom, the son of David, is invading Jerusalem. Now, prior to this, Absalom had... Um, had killed his brother Amnon. Why did he kill his brother Amnon? Well, it's because Amnon had abused his sister Tamar, who was the direct sister of Absalom. So this is a mess. And now it's come to this point where Absalom has, has not been adequately punished for murdering his brother, and yet is subsequently, ha- having plotted this plan to, to take the throne from his father, has invaded Jerusalem, and as a result, David is fleeing now with his household. So David is on his way out of Jerusalem. He's, he's already de- departed, I would say, by the time he's written this psalm. But he is fleeing. And the situation is not good for him. He says that there are many thousands who have set themselves against him. They are all around him. This is not just a, a, a battle between uh, one opposing force and another. Uh, nor is this him fleeing from, from Saul. He is, he is expressing this as though he has been is surrounded by his enemy. This is like a nightmare on, on steroids, so to speak. This is a seriously low point for David. As you can imagine, the military threat is real and it is present and it is dangerous. And yet, the hurt goes a, a far deeper level because it is his son. It's a tragedy any time a father and a son are fighting. How much more? When a son is wanting to steal the throne from his father and kill his father in order to achieve that, this is a very low point in David's life. And many are saying of his soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So many people had known David throughout the entirety of his kingship, even before David had been famous. He was a man after God's own heart. And God had blessed him in many ways. God had established his kingdom But now, in the eyes of many, it was being ripped from David. David was a fugitive once again. Though he'd been a fugitive as a young man, here he is now, in his older age, a fugitive. And they're saying, there's no salvation for him in God. They're essentially saying, it's over for this guy. He's had a good run, maybe they were thinking, but no more. God's obviously not for him. So the question before David was whether or not he was going to, in light of this in, incredibly difficult situation, was he going to freak out or would he trust in God? And friends, the likelihood of us ever being surrounded by an army trying to kill us in a physical sense is very unlikely. However, it is likely 
that you have or will one day face scenarios in life that are unexpected, where it seems like the world under you is giving way, where like there has been a Teutonic shift under you where this relationship is gone or, or this diagnosis has come and you were not expecting this, but, but something is happening in your life where the question will be before you, am I going to freak out right now or will I trust in the Lord? Well, friends, the main theme of this passage, I believe, and it's the main theme of this sermon for you today is that God is now and always worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your trust. You see, David recognized that despite the fact that there were thousands of people trying to kill him, he could trust in God. And why? Because he knew the character of God and he knew the ability of God. He knew that God was good. And he knew that God had all power. So it did not matter how many were against him. God was worthy of his trust. And friends, God is worthy now and always of your trust as well. So let's look at a few aspects of how God describes, I'm mean, sorry, as how, well, how God reveals himself through David in this passage. First, we see that the Lord shields his people. He says in verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. <clears throat> this is the first thing that David says about God, is that God is a shield about him. Now, he's using military terminology, but nonetheless, most of you have used a shield. If you drove here this morning, you enjoyed the protection against dust, debris, and insects of a windshield. The, sh- the, the idea of a shield is that it's protecting you from what, would otherwise, uh, from what otherwise you would be vulnerable to. And in the military... If you were out in in David's time, if you were to go onto the battlefield, you might have a sword, you might have all of this incredible armor, but if you did not have a shield, then you would be susceptible to some of the attacks of the enemy. Oftentimes, arrows even. You could be the biggest, uh, strongest warrior on the battlefield with the sharpest sword, but if you didn't have a shield that that could absorb and deflect the attacks of the enemies, you would be very susceptible. You can imagine even... The shield that is, uh, that is needed oftentimes in a home of an alarm system. If, if you, you might not have a physical barrier, but oftentimes people might have an electrical alarm system in which they have this, this sense of protection of, of, uh, from, from pr- dangerous people. Friends, shields are incredibly valuable. Shields protect against attack. And David is saying that God is his shield. In addition to this... David says that God is his glory. Now, think about this for a moment. When he says glory, it is not as though David is seeking to steal the glory away from God. Rather, you should think about honor here. That David is saying that God is his honor. God is, is, his, is, his, um, is the one in whom he finds his identity, his value. You see, David was stepping away from his throne. He was stepping away from his riches. He was stepping away from his fame when he, when he was fleeing out of Jerusalem. Oftentimes in this life, circumstances come about where all of a sudden the bank account is dry. Or all of a sudden the job title that you found so much of your identity in is no longer there. Or all of a sudden the relationship that, that you had found so much of your identity in, that you had found so much honor in, is no longer there. And what David is saying is that it's not those things, it's not his kingship, it is not his fame, it is not his, his, his royal 
treasures that he's finding his honor in, it is the Lord. And so, friends, that's incredible to keep in mind that despite whatever circumstances come your way, despite whatever is taken away from you in this life, if you're in Christ, your honor is the Lord. It's not determined by your bank account. It is not determined by your degrees. It's not determined by even your past fame and experience. Your honor is the Lord. And, that, and he can never be taken away from you. David is sensing this, seeing this in a very dark, deep valley. And then he, he also says this, that the Lord is the lifter of his head. Now this brings to mind, I think, a moment in the story. If you were to turn to 2 Samuel... You can see where David is fleeing from Jerusalem, and he's, he's leaving with his, with his household. He's abandoning Jerusalem. And in 2 Samuel 15, verse 23, it says, And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. Here they are leaving Mount Zion. They are leaving the kingdom, the fortress. They're leaving Jerusalem into the wilderness. And under such awful circumstances as this, you can imagine the, 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 the grief that David is feeling. He tells the priest Zadok to return the ark back to Jerusalem. And then in 2 Samuel 15 verse 30, it says, But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. Oh, the grief of the situation. Just weeping as they're going. This is not a, they're not on a destination vacation. No, they're, they're having to travel in, in almost the worst circumstances imaginable. Or some of the worst, at least. He's weeping, he's barefoot, he's mourning, and he's probably experiencing some intense shame. And yet at some point in his flight, he pens Psalm 3 that we're reading. And he proclaims that even then, it is the Lord that is the, who is the lifter of his head. I don't know what circumstances you're facing today. I don't know what circumstances you may face tomorrow or the next day or the next decade. But friends, when you are facing those times of mourning, those times of potentially great shame, it is absolutely critical to know, to, to look into a passage like this and know that it is the Lord who is the lifter of his people's head. It is him in whom your identity is to be found. In addition to this, we see moving on in verse 4 that the Lord answers his people. David writes, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. How often... Is prayer not the first place a Christian turns when they're facing incredible difficulty? And for me, my, my prayer life wanes when I fail to see that God Almighty, the King of the universe, actually hears my prayers. That in my darkest times, even in great times, the Lord literally hears my prayers because of Jesus. And if I, were to, and if I am to keep that in mind, my prayer life is... is uh, far greater, and I'm praying for more, and I'm seeing more answers to more prayers because I'm praying to them and trusting that God hears. Friends, David writes here, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. God is not just a sounding board. He's not just a counselor who's just going to hear you and affirm you and say, oh, that is really, I'm really sorry you're going through that. No, God answers the prayers of his people. 
He responds to the prayers of his people. He's not foreign. Remember, he's not just caring, but he's also capable. He's not just compassionate, but he's powerful. And he acts for his people. With whatever season of life you find yourself in, I want to ask, are you turning to the Lord in prayer? Are you you responding in the same way that David responds in verse 4? Are you crying out to him and trusting that he will answer you one way or the other? He will not be far off. Even when others might have thought, God's not going to hear David's prayer, David knew that God did. And it's not based on your own righteousness. It is based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ by which believers are brought into the presence of God and made children of God, able to have their prayers heard and answered. Moving on in verse 5, we see that the Lord not only shields his people, not only answers his people, but that the Lord sustains his people. David writes, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I don't know about you, but I have lost sleep at times due to my circumstances. It's not uncommon. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're not sleeping so well because of this circumstance or that circumstance. But David here, his life is being pursued by thousands of warriors. And yet sleep for him, not a big deal. That's, that's amazing to think about, <clears throat> that he was facing such impending danger, and yet he could sleep perfectly fine and normal. In, in parts of Africa, sometimes if you're out, it, most of the time when I'm staying somewhere, I'll, due to crime in a certain area, um, most foreigners will have a guard. So I'm sleeping in a house that is, has locks on the doors, and not only that, but it's got a, a wall or a gate around it. And not only that, but even a security guard will be hired. And so I can sleep pretty well um, in Africa in most nights. But there have been some times where I'm out in the village or I'm staying in uh, a hut somewhere in the mountains and there's no guards there and there's no wall around me there and the door isn't that secure and you're exposed to whatever can, can come in at night when you're totally asleep. That's why it can be difficult to sleep sometimes is because you have to be able to, to trust that you are not going to be attacked while you are totally vulnerable to whatever your environment would produce. David here is saying that even though he is fleeing, he's not in Jerusalem anymore. No more walls, no more, not, at least not as many guards as he had before. And yet there's still people who are actively seeking to kill him. He's able to sleep at night because he knows that God is God and God will protect him. And friends, I don't know what circumstance you might be facing right now. Maybe it is a certain dollar amount or lack thereof, and it is causing you to not sleep very well. May you lay down and sleep, waking again because you are trusting that the Lord sustains you, that God has you, and that if God has you, then nothing can come against you, despite whatever the dollar amount may be, ultimately trusting in God. And we'll get to ultimately why in just a moment. Point number four, we see moving on that the Lord strikes the enemies of his people. Look here with me at verse seven. David writes, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Now, oftentimes people find themselves in a foreign land and say you're an American 
but you're in some obscure country, you're, not, you're no longer under the protection of the American flag or the American military. You're somewhere else. And though that force might be um, far less than the, what the American military might is, you, however, are surrounded by an enemy. And that is, is sometimes the case. One time I was detained by the Uganda military in the mountains, and I was being forced to stay in their barracks. And I, and recently in telling someone the story, they just said, were you, were you just freaking out? And I thought, no, I really wasn't. And, and the reason, I, I, would, I hope, Lord willing, it was ultimately the Lord giving me faith. But to be honest with you, I knew that they weren't going to kill me. Because I knew that I was an American. And I knew that that was a problem they did not want to cause. If they were to mistreat an American who was under their care. I knew that I was safer than even the Ugandans who I was with. Because of my passport. Because of my citizenship. Because of my citizenship and belonging to a military that was far mightier than that of that country. If I belonged to a smaller, weak country, I might have been abused in that situation. But I wasn't. Now... David is saying, look, you can have as many thousands as you want, essentially. But he knows that the Lord is able to strike his enemy on the cheek. That there is nothing that any military in the world can do compared to God. And friends, that is how you should approach any situation in which you are facing. Any enemy that you may face. Can they compare to God in any way? Ultimately, no, not at all. Not at all. And the Lord strikes the enemies of his people. I knew that if I was in that situation and and anything was going to happen to me, the the hurt that they would experience as a nation would be far greater than what could happen to me. And that is because America was on my side. Friends, you have the Lord on your side. Do not forget that. And finally, as we approach the end of this passage, David writes, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. We see that salvation belongs to God. And he blesses his people. We've seen that God shields his people. He answers his people. He sustains his people. He strikes the enemies of his people. And now, I think it'd be worthwhile to ask this question, though. Why can David write this? Why, David, of of all people, can this psalm be written by him? Why, even in these circumstances, can David write this kind of psalm? I mean, think about it. David was in this situation in in part because he had not properly punished Absalom. He had not, as king, sought that there be justice when one prince killed another. And that situation had arisen about in part because David had not seen justice when one brother had abused a sister. David had failed in these respects. He had been a passive father at a cataclysmic level. But if you read the story even further back, you see how this is directly tied to a prophecy of the prophet Nathan in light of what David did to Bathsheba and Uriah. In 2 Samuel 12, 10, this is Nathan speaking on behalf of the Lord. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your women before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your women in the sight of this son. And that is exactly what happened when Absalom invaded into Jerusalem and took over David's house. And this is happening because David, years before, 
had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then seen that one of his own men, the husband of, of Bathsheba, Uriah, be killed on the battlefield, committing adultery and murder. And now we're seeing this, this, this sword in his house. And so how is it now? David is, 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 is seeing this prophecy fulfilled. How can he then now say at the end of this psalm, salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people, Selah. And you might be wondering, how can I say that kind of thing? As I think about the sins of my past, perhaps even now, these issues, these circumstances you're facing are circumstances of your own making. They're the results of sin that you've experienced some way or, or, or sin that you've committed some way or the other. And, and whether or not you're experiencing the effects of your sin now, the Bible does say that the wages of sin is death. That the, the, the payment of sin is eternal suffering in hell. That that is what everyone deserves because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a soul in this room, including myself, who can say I'm free of sin. That I don't deserve the wrath of God. No, every single one of us do. How can we say salvation belongs to the Lord? Your blessing be on your people. How can we have hope from this psalm at all? Well, my friends, David can write these words. And you, Christian, can trust these words. Even after David has, has left Jerusalem to save his life, crossed the Kidron Valley, ascended the Mount of Olives, fleeing Jerusalem to save his life, these words can be trusted by every single Christian because... There was a day when the new David, the better David, the one who was prophesied to be the Messiah, King Jesus, would one day stand on the Mount of Olives. But instead of fleeing Jerusalem to save his life, this king would descend down the Mount of Olives, would cross into Jerusalem, not to save his life, but Jesus gave his life. And the wrath of God for his people was poured out on Jesus in total. That's why Jesus could say while hanging on the cross, it is finished because the payment was made. And oh, friends, this is good news for every Christian who knows their sin, who knows their own guilt, who knows the wrath that they deserve to know that it was paid for by Jesus on a cross 2,000 years ago on Calvary. That Jesus there and then had the final victory over sin. And not only that, you see, the worst enemy, the last enemy, as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians, is death. It's an enemy that's been faced by our ancestors, Adam and Eve, ever since the very beginning of the human race. But three days later, because Jesus paid for sin and then he rose from the dead, Jesus has victory over sin and over death. And salvation from our greatest enemy is now offered by Jesus once and for all. The good news, friends, is that Jesus did not evade death. No, he set his eyes to Jerusalem. And he went and experienced death, and then he overcame it. Jesus experienced the wrath of God that, every single, that David deserved, that I deserve, that you deserve. Jesus has experienced the wrath of God for his people once and for all. And if you trust him, simply trust him, salvation is yours for all of eternity in Christ. How amazing that this God... This God has incredible character in his mercy, incredible character in his grace, and he is powerful enough to save and has shown it so by the cross. If you're in Christ, therefore, you can say that Christ is a shield against you, against the, for you against the darts of death, that Christ sustains you against the destruction of death. 
that Christ is your glory, that Christ is the lifter of your head. He has struck death on the cheek, and he has loosed the fangs of death, rendering it powerless against you. And now for every Christian who enters into, whose body passes away, they enter into glory for all of eternity with Jesus Christ forever. Oh, friends, it is because of the grace of God in Christ that every single Christian can say, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. So I hope that each one of you will find comfort in this passage, in this psalm. And when you read it, that you see not not just your own righteousness being able to, to attain to this kind of being worthy of this psalm, but rather recognizing that it's because of the payment of Jesus that this psalm has been bought for you. You see, instead of eternal wrath and hell like every person deserves, salvation of eternity with God has been bought for every Christian. And it is indeed a blessing upon the people of God. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this psalm. I thank you for your promises. Lord, I ask that every single soul in this room would look to Christ in faith, would experience what it is to be blessed by you in Jesus as they trust the one who crossed over the the valley into Jerusalem and paid for sins of his people once and for all. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.